0: Reading from Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the Gospel of the Lord.
1: Well, I don't know whether you've had something important that you've lost. And um, we were in Switzerland in uh, 2000 and uh, I went to the Swiss Army knife shop. In Switzerland to buy a Swiss army knife in Switzerland. And uh, supposedly there's this little Swiss card that's like a little it's like a size of a credit card, but a knife comes out of it and a few gadgets come out. I thought it was pretty cool. And it comes in white only if you buy it in Switzerland. So I bought a white Swiss card. Anyway, brought it home and a few years ago, as we'd been moving house. I remembered that I couldn't find this Swiss card. I couldn't find it and I couldn't remember where I had it but being so small I thought well it's got to be in a pocket of something and so I searched and searched and searched and even when we started moving house I thought well surely it'll come out of the crevice that it's hiding in when I uh, move house and pack all the boxes of the house. Even searching through all the bags But the reality is that the Swiss card is lost. I didn't find it. The story of the lost sheep and the lost coin is partly about the person who and the determination of someone to do the searching. A bit like me, maybe when you've lost something that's maybe not like million dollars valuable but something that's maybe important to you, that you want to find, you know what it's like, don't you, to be determined to find it. Now, you might be here saying to me, Mark, it's just a little Swiss card, you can buy them down at the shop in Glen Ferry Road and you can. But it was important to me and when I was searching for it, I had a determination to find it. And Jesus is telling this story and yes, it is a little bit about the sheep and I'll I'll get to that in the course of this but it's about the person doing the searching. And Jesus is telling this story and using themes that people would have been familiar with. Not just they were familiar with the fact that they knew what a shepherd was, because they did, more than we do. I mean, when we think of a a person with a sheep, we might think, okay, so someone in Goulburn who's got 10,000 sheep loses one. It's kind of like, oh, well, that's tough luck. But the good shepherd lived with the sheep and knew everyone by name, because they only had a small amount. So when they lose one of them, they know the name of that sheep and they're going to go off and find it. We might not know much about the shepherd but we understand this idea of searching for something that's lost. Perhaps maybe one of us who is a parent, and and of course none of us have ever done this, but we lost our child in the shopping centre. I mean, none of you would have done that, would you? But you lose your child in the shopping centre and that first few seconds of panic thinking where 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 could they have gone I literally just turned around and they're now disappeared you don't kind of say oh it's all right I've got another one no you you go and find it you go and find them because they're valuable to you perhaps we can understand even, even if we've never lost a loved one in an earthquake. We can understand, can't we, why there are people in in Turkey and Syria at the moment that are working 24-7. I think some of them have done 96 hours without taking a break. We can understand that because whilst we're not there in that situation, we might see the person in the rubble as just another number but the people who are searching know them as family, know them as friends. And it's that image that Jesus is talking about. He's actually um, telling three parables in this chapter of Luke 15 And, and he's putting the focus on the person who's doing the searching. He's putting the focus on the person that is searching for the lost. It's about the search that they undertake. And Jesus is pointing this parable to God. The, the meaning of each of these three parables in Luke 15, the, the, the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son, sometimes what we call the prodigal son, the, the, the meaning of each of these three parables is that God searches for the lost members of His family. And to understand these parables, we probably need to understand a little bit more about the culture of the day. And, and, and as I said at the start of the service, perhaps the clue to, to why this parable, which sounds right to us and maybe we've heard it so many times and therefore that's why it sounds right to us, but the clue to why this might be a challenge would be the question, why are, why are the Pharisees grumbling? If the Pharisees want purity, and they do and they want people to be faithful to the ways of God if Jesus is bringing people back into the ways of God surely they shouldn't be grumbling with Jesus but praising Jesus so there's something about Jesus and what he's doing that clues us into why the Pharisees might be grumbling and and the clue in the in the scriptures there is 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 the idea of the teachers uh, sorry the teachers of the law Are worried about the tax collectors and the sinners. The tax collectors and the sinners. And and Luke tells us that the tax collectors and sinners were coming to listen to the teaching of Jesus. So, the tax collectors and the sinners are coming to hear what Jesus has said. And so, the tax collectors, whilst they might have been culturally Jewish, they might have been uh, people who were ethnically Jewish, The way that they were treated in the society was as if they were Roman, because they were actually collecting taxes for Rome, they were associating with Romans, they were associating with the enemy. And so, the the Jewish people who were trying to follow the ways of God saw the tax collectors as, as Roman, as corrupt like the Romans, because they associated with Gentiles and Gentiles were not considered holy. The the, the sinners are the people who do not follow the law of the Pharisees. They do not follow the ways of living that the Pharisees were living and trying to teach other people. The Pharisees had a parable very similar to these parables, but the, the, the meaning of the parable that the Pharisees taught was that somebody would so desire to follow the law that they would... Uh, try to find the meaning behind the law like someone trying to find a lost coin, that they would be so eager to live the ways of God studying the law that they would try to find the law like finding a lost sheep. That The parables that the Pharisees told, the emphasis was on an individual who was a sinner desiring to follow and study the law. The Pharisees wanted everybody to follow these immense set of rules that they had created. It was only once a person followed all of the rules that they were allowed to be in fellowship with the Pharisees. It's like a person had to have a desire to follow the law, desire to study the law, fix themselves up completely, and once they'd fixed themselves up completely, then they could come back into right fellowship. In contrast, Jesus comes teaching the sinners before they're following the law. Jesus is uh, teaching people who want to follow the law but don't know how to, He's teaching them how to follow the law. He's teaching them about the Kingdom of God. He's teaching them about what it means to repent. It makes sense, doesn't it? If the Pharisees are saying, we want people to repent of their sinful ways and come into a right living with God, surely someone needs to accompany them on that journey. It's kind of weird, isn't it, to say, you need to follow the ways of God, but I know you don't know them, but until you fix yourself up, I'm not going to teach you the ways of the Lord. And Jesus comes along and says, I know that you don't know the ways of the kingdom, so I am going to teach you the ways of the kingdom. And before you fix yourself up, you're going to be able to hear that God loves you and that God wants to be in relationship with you. And Jesus is modelling early in His ministry the idea of grace. Now, grace will be completed and we'll understand the full extent of the grace that Jesus offers when He dies and raises from the dead. But this idea of free gift of grace is being offered to the people Of God before they even make a step to come back. You see, the the Pharisees had a completely different idea of holiness to Jesus. Jesus is saying, when you repent and make a way back to me, that's the sign of holiness. The Pharisees had an idea of holiness where the people who were the closest to the centre of the temple, they were the holy ones. So, The Pharisees were teaching, if you wanted to know what holiness looked like, then look at the people who serve in the innermost part of the temple. The irony of that was that the sinners couldn't even enter the temple courts, let alone see into the innermost part of the temple. It was really only the high priest who went into the Holy of Holies once a year that was probably considered to be the holiest of all the religious leaders. The religious leaders of Jesus' day taught that holiness was about a proximity to a location. Your proximity to the temple was a sign of your holiness. So now we can understand why maybe the Galilean Jews were looked down on. Because I mean, if you're in the city of Jerusalem but you're not in the temple, you're considered less holy than those who are in the temple. So imagine if you're not even in the holy city of David but you're out In another town. You must be even less holy because you don't even go to the temple, you go to synagogue. And so, Jesus is confronting a group of people who are teaching that holiness is about proximity to a location. And Jesus comes into that environment, offering a different image of holiness. That holiness is not about proximity to a location, Holiness is about a proximity to a person. It's about faith in Jesus rather than about setting your foot into the temple. Jesus is saying to the world that holiness is about doing the will of His Father. Now, remember Jesus goes through Samaria, encounters a woman at the well who's late in the day because she's avoiding people, because she's not living A holy life, even by her people and he gets into an argument with this woman and he says to them, it's not about worshipping in Jerusalem or on this hill, it's about worshipping in spirit and truth. Jesus is already ushering in where holiness, worshipping God, is not about doing it in a location but doing it in spirit and truth. No wonder the religious leaders are grumbling because Jesus is replacing them. Jesus is not saying, look at the religious leaders and follow them, He's saying, look at Me and follow Me as I follow the will of the Father. But Jesus is also making this third significant shift in the parable. And in these three parables, as I said, it's not necessarily on what is lost, although we'll get to that, it's on who's doing the searching. Remember the Pharisees were teaching that if you were a sinner, when they taught these parables, you were the person doing the searching and you were supposed to go on a search for the law and once you understood the truths of the law, then God would have you back. It's almost like God is this distant person sitting in his throne waiting for you to return. The meaning of Jesus' parables is that God is making the first move. God is the one doing the searching. God is the one getting off His throne, as the Pharisees might have thought, going out from the temple, as the Pharisees might have thought, seeking the lost sheep of Israel. God is making the first step. So, what does Jesus do to show that God is making the first step? He calls a tax collector to follow Him. These Galilean Jews that the Jerusalem Jews looked down on, he calls them to be His disciples. Jesus is being an example of the least and the lost, becoming core to who He is and His mission to announce that the Kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus heals people who are sinners because, remember, the Pharisees taught that if you had a, a, a illness, Particularly blindness or some kind of deformity, that was because of sin that you had committed or at least your parents had committed. So, to be unwell was a sign of sin. So, even Jesus healing sinners is a sign that Jesus is recognising that uh, He is associating with sinners. Jesus associated with women, Jesus associated with Gentiles, all the people that the religious men of the day look down on, Jesus is associating with, because He wants to show that proximity to Him is the sign of being in the Kingdom of God. God makes the first move. Now, ultimately, Jesus does call people to repent. He doesn't just accept their behaviour blindly, He teaches them the new ways of God In order that they would give up their old ways and take up the ways of living the way of God. But notice Jesus engages in that relationship so that they can at least hear what the ways of the Kingdom are. In contrast, the Pharisees are not even talking to the sinners so they're never going to hear the ways of God and they're never going to be able to repent because they don't know what they're repenting from and they don't know what they're repenting to. You see, repentance is not about punishment, repentance is about seeing your way of going and turning away from that to the way of God. So, it's not about punishment served, it's about turning to something. And the disciples of Jesus are able to pass on the teaching of Jesus because they heard about this repentance, where the Pharisees are never sharing with anybody what they're supposed to turn to. So, the shepherd leaves the 99 to rescue the sheep that is in danger. The woman searches for a lost coin. The father runs out to embrace his son that has been lost and he offers him a party to celebrate. I suspect that the ministry of Jesus would have been pleased with new people coming to follow him on a regular basis. We don't often hear in the stories Of the Gospels that Jesus partied at people who were repenting, but when He tells a a parable about a son who repents, He says that the Father, who is His Father, has a party. And so, we know that God rejoices when one member of His family returns. So, I wonder who is the One? Now, before I get to who's the One, If you actually feel that you're the lost sheep at the moment, if you feel you're the one that needs rescuing, then know that God makes the first move to rescue you. If you feel in your stage of life that you need God's love and you need Him to come and rescue Him, just pray for the openness of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would teach you more about Jesus and know that God is making the first move. If you are already starting to know that you need God in your life, then that means that the Holy Spirit is at work and accompanying you. But maybe for us who are following God and we feel that we're part of the 99, then the idea is that we're to be part of God's hands and feet, making the first step to rescue the lost sheep, to find the lost coin, to rescue the lost son we're the hands and feet of God. And so there's two ways that we could see this. The first is that there's someone specific in your life that needs you to be the hands and feet of God as they come back into relationship or begin a relationship with Jesus. There's somebody in your sphere of influence that needs you to be the hands and feet of God. There's somebody that needs you to be their Good Shepherd but unlike the Good Shepherd Jesus, who can directly heal and save the lost, we're just the hands and feet. So we we might be someone in someone's life who is sowing seeds that God loves them and encouraging them to go and find Jesus, and maybe accompanying them on that way. We're not literally going to put someone around our shoulders and drag them into church. It's about restoring them or bringing them into a relationship with Jesus. We're not necessarily the Good Shepherd itself, that's Jesus, but where the, the person that accompanies and shows the person, the individual, the someone specific, that God is making the first move to rescue them. Now, it might be hard in our world today to call someone the lost but sometimes when Christians do that it can sound offensive. So, maybe just refer to them as your one, the one that you're praying for, the one that you're caring for, the one that you're encouraging, the one that you're helping them to see that God has a purpose for their life. And I wonder who is your One? I wonder who is the person in your spirit of influence? The reality is there could actually be one, two, three, four, there could even be ten people like that in your life. And that those ten ones might be some people that you need to journey with for years decades and keep praying with. So, who is your one? This week I want you to identify that list of people. I want you to write them down and I want you to put them on your prayer list and I want to keep encouraging you to make it specific. But the second type of one goes back to the Great Commission. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations. And what He kind of meant by that was all the people groups. And God puts on each of our hearts a one, a people group that we care for, that we have a passion for. When everybody else is saying, yes, we want to see more people in the church, we have a particular passion for a people group that God has placed on our heart to be part of the rescuing. I remember an author said, this is where your holy discontent for injustice in the world aligns with God's holy injustice in the world. And and you step into that in order to help a whole people group. Tonight, in our Cafe Conversations, I'm going to talk to to Nikki Capp here about her one, which is her work in helping to uh, remove trafficking and slavery in Australia and her ministry and work with Be Slavery Free, which has meant that she's had to go into brothels and help women who have been trafficked into the sex industry. And tonight we're gonna ask her about her one, which is women who have been trafficked, that's a people group that need rescuing, but we'll also hear about her one and she'll tell some individual stories about individuals and how the ministry, yes, it's a people group, but it's made a difference to a one. But what's your one? Our new partnership with Epiphany Church in Hoppers Crossing their people group, the, the one that they want to go after, is all those people buying homes in Tarnit. They want to plant a church in Tarnit and their one is the people of Tarnit. Or we can think of the Flynns who went to Mission Aviation Fellowship. Their one is to serve people through uh, remote access through the aviation ministry that they've done. Their one, they're giving their whole life, they're, they're shifting all of their family to minister to their one. I wonder what your one is. I wonder what your people group is. Maybe it's something that is connected with your career, maybe it's something that's not connected with your career. But when you look at your holy discontent for a people group and it aligns with God's discontent about a people group not included in the church, then it helps you to find your God-given purpose in life. And I can see some of you around here and, and, and I can see clearly, in the way that you talk, who your one is. But I'd encourage you this week to be praying about that and focusing on that and asking God to show you more ways that you can help rescue those people in that. So, this week I want you to be specific about who the individuals are that God is calling you to have is your one on your list to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus to help rescue them and and I'd advise you maybe not to say to them that you're rescuing them that doesn't go down well maybe just say that you're accompanying them or if they need anything you're there for them and even just offer to pray for them i know some evangelists who are who are doing like evangelism in the hardest areas to do evangelism and they say it's so hard to sometimes get people to become a disciple of Jesus but as hard as an environment is to evangelise in, if you offer to pray for people, you almost never get rejected. I just encourage you to see who your ones are and pray for them and then I'd ask you to identify who your people group are and how we can minister to them. And probably that's why we as a church need to think about who are the ones that are missing in our church? Who are the people group? And if you're in a small group, this week, can you share who your ones are? Who your people group are? And then maybe have that hard discussion about who are the people groups, the ones, the lost sheep that are not in the church. The reality is the math in our world. Is the opposite of the parable, isn't it? It's like the 99 are out there and we have a mission to go to that 99. But I think the reason, Jesus would have known that, but I think the reason that He tells the story about a one is because it's much easier, it's much easier to accompany one person at a time. In time we might get to the 99 out there and we pray that we'd see revival where the 99 would come into a life-giving relationship with Jesus but at the moment let's pray for our ones and pray that they would come to Jesus gracious God we praise and thank you for who you are we thank you that you are the Good Shepherd that rescued us and that sent us out to be your hands and feet to rescue others We pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us as we engage in this great commission to make disciples of all the nations. And we pray that you would bless us in Jesus' mighty name.